long term, uh, yes, Bitcoin's price is moving. In general, it's moving up. Uh, the short term moves where it like, oh, like sometimes it goes up and up like up 20 percent, then down 20 percent the next week. Like that's driven by the leverage, uh, I think, more than anything. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today we kick off with Casa, the safest way for you to store your badass Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks. There are way too many ways for you to lose your Bitcoin or have it stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets ones which you get to distribute into different locations, and that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a Casa customer for over a year. You can drop me an email or a DM on Twitter. I will tell you about my experience. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. If you want to find out more, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S, C-A-S-A. Next up, we have my friends at sportsbet.io, the very, very best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin. And with the Olympics over, all eyes are back on football. The Premier League kicks off this Friday, I think it is. I think Arsenal are playing Brentford. I think that's the opening game. And then we have a full fixture list over the weekend. I cannot wait. It's going to be great to have football back. It's great to have fans back in the stadium. It was kind of weird last year. But listen, I'm going to be making some bets. I obviously think Liverpool are going to win. I obviously are going to be betting against Tottenham because they're ridiculous. So very exciting. But if you want to check this out, Sportsbet.io always have a range of things available for you. They don't just have football. They have tennis and motorsports and esports and all kinds of crazy things. And they always have a range of promotions available for new customers. So if you want to check them out, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T.io forward slash promotions. Next up, we have Extus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when Extus reached out, they said, Pete, we want to sponsor the show. I was like, well, okay, that's fine, but I've got to play with this. So I did. I had a little, had a little play with the app, both on the desktop and the mobile. And you know what? They crushed it. That's why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends, and my family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. Make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Okay, enjoy the show. Hi, Sam. Nice to meet you finally. Uh, congratulations on all the work you've been doing. Uh, how, how are you? I'm good, good. Uh, it's... Uh... Crypto's been busy again. Uh, trading's been uh, taking up a lot of my time again, but uh, it's been always fun uh, when this happens, so I don't mind. <laughs> well, my one of my producers, Danny, is a huge fan of yours. Uh, usually I pick all the guests, but he's been nagging <laughs> me for a while, saying, you need to get Sam on, you need to get Sam on. So we've got to thank Danny for this. Well, yeah, thank you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen, I've got a lot I want to ask you about. Um, I'm not a trader, just for context because I'm shit at it. Uh, I will buy spot and I do hold. And like maybe three or four times during this bull market, I've gone out and bought because I felt like it's been a good buying time. But I'm I'm not a trader. I have plenty of traders who listen to the show, uh, both successful and terrible traders because they email me. So uh, I've got a lot of questions to work through with you. Um, but just as a starting point, 
it's always good to intro new guests who haven't been on the show before. Do you want to just tell people a little bit about yourself and what it is you do now? Yeah, so uh, growing up, I was always one of those math kids who did like math competitions and stuff. Um, and yeah, so I was doing that like throughout high school and then went to college for math uh, and computer science. Um, I, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, the founder of uh, Alameda and FTX, and I went to uh, the same math camp during high school. Uh, and then we also went to MIT uh, t- at the same time. Uh, so that's how I know him. Uh, and then uh, after graduating, uh, at this point, I'm still not into crypto. Uh, but after graduating, I went... Uh, I was did a trading internship during college um, at like quant trading firm called Tuskahanna uh, in the U.S. Uh, and went back after graduating. I was doing uh, quant trading there uh, tr- in more traditional assets uh, like bond ETF arbitrage, uh, th- things like that. Uh, and I was also working on their sports desk, um, like sports betting. Um, and uh, but like around uh, like a few years in, uh, I, I sort of started realizing these things about the crypto market. Uh, that were like looked kind of insane from the perspective of someone from a quant trading background. Um, like you, this is like 2017 or so, uh, and you would see things like uh, like Bitcoin's trading like a percent or two apart on like the two biggest spot exchanges in the U.S. Uh, and it turns out it's not just a data error. You can you could actually like buy on the cheap one and send it to the rich one and like just sort of lock that in um, for like real size. It was kind of like just sort of shocking to me. Um, and so I uh, left and worked worked on this sort of stuff in my my personal trading for a while uh eventually uh and i moved to san francisco uh just because i wanted to uh which is where uh sam beckman freeds uh, was working on alameda at the time uh, i got to talk to him at some point uh yeah just uh, sort of joined um and yeah i've been at alameda ever since uh we uh alameda's uh, at this point ba- basically the biggest quant trading firm in the space uh we're trading every liquid market uh on uh, every big like real exchange, I guess, uh, and we're a twenty four seven operation, like market making on most of the exchanges as well for various projects and for various reasons. Um, all of our trading's like basically one hundred percent automated. Uh, like we don't touch exchange websites, so we're only using the API in our in our uh, internal uh, tool. Uh, my personal focus uh, recently became the co CEO. Uh, I focus a lot on risk management and stuff. Uh, and sort of like broader strategy development. Um, but when trading is quite busy, uh, I'll be uh, in the trenches instead of everyone else. <laughs> so tell me about math camp. Is, is that like football camp, but for math? Is it exactly what I imagine it would be? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, you do like uh, eight hours of math a day. Uh, it's a, it's a basically intended to like introduce high school kids to college-level math. Uh, mm-hmm. So you'll do things like uh, like linear algebra, uh, like that, like it analysis things, things you typically only start seeing uh during a math undergrad uh you'll get a taste of during high school nice one okay so quant trading is not something i completely understand uh it's been explained to me a few times by my friend travis kling over at ikigai and i still don't understand it so can you explain quant trading <laughs> for me and the people who are listening uh yeah sure um so uh quant trade like like normal trading or like what most people will be doing uh, if they're doing any trading uh is Picking a time that they want to like buy something they want to buy, like maybe you pick, you decide you want to buy Bitcoin if it gets below X price, and so you like do it, uh, and you'll maybe do like uh, like I get most like four or five of these like kind of big trades per month or something like that. Um, in quant trading, uh, instead of like uh, generally uh, we're doing like millions of trades every single day, uh, and the the impetus is uh, for those trades like 
obviously have to have like a much lower bar. Uh, like we have, like we can't have like a, a million great reasons we want to do a trade every day. Um, so uh, what we're what we're really doing uh, on some level is uh, we're saving a bunch of data. Like we every time like every coin moves, uh, we save the pr- we save the price, we save the timestamp, uh, we save like all these things for every product in the world, basically. Uh, and we run uh, these like sometimes fairly intense studies on okay, like like uh, if we always bought bitcoin uh every time like this small thing happens like every time the premium of this future uh got above the premium of this other future uh like what would happen uh and like most of the time like these studies will yield like oh you'll probably lose money uh but sometimes the studies will tell us oh yes like this actually does make sense on average if you do this uh and if you do this like every single time it happens like every like if it happens like a thousand times a day uh if you do it every single time uh, then on average you will make money uh, and that's the kind of thing we're always looking for. Uh, we're looking for these like strat- these strategies that we can we can automate uh, and just sort of make money with all the time. Um, that's sort of like a that, that's like that's one, an example of what one class of things we're doing. I guess uh, we're also doing other things um, like for various like exchanges and for various uh, projects in the past that we've uh, made agreements to market make, uh, uh, which uh, sort of means that we're uh, we agree with, we agree with them about size and width. Uh, and once we've agreed on those, we just sort of like are always uh, making markets uh, of that size at that width uh, on like various order books. Um, it's like fairly well known at this point uh, that uh, we're uh, a primary market maker for FTX. Uh, every time FTX lists a new market, uh, we're providing liquidity there uh, and also their old markets. Um, and we're able to do that because uh, like a, a part of the part of what we've built uh, in becoming such a big quant trading firm uh, is the infrastructure that allows us to be making twenty four seven quotes. Uh, like updating them very quickly uh, in response to like all like like uh, in response to like changes in prices very quickly, um, and that sort of goes hand in hand with the market making business, which we've also been able to build out. Right, I'm going to come back to market making market making because I want to ask about that separately. So, but on the quant side, so you're really looking for patterns, profitable patterns to take advantage of. Um, that that's how much of that is like automated versus uh, decisions being made by humans. Right. Um, yeah. So there's uh, so crypto is uh, like it's been around for a while. Uh, it's gotten more mature, I think, uh, on some level. Uh, and uh, the yeah, trading has gotten like it, in some ways has gotten fairly predictable. Something I talk about on Twitter a lot uh, is uh, our trading around liquidations um, and the ways in which that's sort of gotten predictable. Um, so for some uh, for some brief background, uh, like the the crypto. Uh, trading world has more liquidations, uh, especially public liquidations, uh, than you'll see like literally anywhere else uh, in the world. Um, that's uh, enabled because of the way crypto's margin structures work, um, where exchanges sort of let you get really high leverage, and then uh, their means of uh, calling you on that leverage if it, if your position goes against you is just by sort of sending a market order uh, into the market, uh, and uh, like this can like cause all kinds of like short-term price movements uh, that you wouldn't otherwise expect. Um, and the exchanges like sort of tell you about it. Uh, they tell you like, oh, this is a liquidation order, um, or some of them do. Uh, but uh, enough of them do that like you can like really like do pretty cool things around this. Um, and for a while, uh, this was something we did quite manually. Uh, we would get like alerts that like a bunch of liquidations are starting, uh, and like I would just sort of like watch the order books and like be able to tell when they were going to be over, uh, and. Uh, it turns out that, like, because the liquidations are very aggressive, because they're sort of like sending market orders into the order book, uh, you always want to trade against them. Uh, and so when there'd be like, oh, like a bunch of short positions getting liquidated, 
uh, you it would always cause like a big peak that would go right back down. Uh, and so you want to sell into the peak uh, and vice versa. Uh, and that's for a while. Yeah, that's something I was doing manually. Uh, it's gotten predictable enough that we've been able to automate it. And that's sort of the pattern that always happens uh, with our uh, uh, with our best trading strategies. Uh, we're uh, uh, we're like we have a team of traders who's always watching the markets. Uh, we we feel that we start to understand things uh, that we are trading manually, and then once they become uh, once they like sort of happen often enough, uh, and we're able to automate it, then that's what we do. Yeah. So SPF talked about this recently. He put out a tweet thread talking about leverage in the system and that. And also, I talked to one of my trader friends, Willie Wu, who you probably know very well. But he talks mm-hmm. about. Most of the tra- time, he's not trading anything before beyond like one and a half up to max three leverage, depending on market conditions. Yeah, a lot of these exchanges are offering 10, 25, 100. I think, even think, did Binance offer 125 at one point? Maybe it still does. Okay. Uh, something also that I think uh, where I'm in the UK that the uh, FCA have cracked down upon. What, what's your kind of view on this? Do you think there shouldn't be any moral authority over how much leverage there is, or do you think there is some responsibility around that? Right. Um, so uh, this, like, as like a, as like an experiment. Uh, like, imagine that you're going to put on some like hundred x levered long position, uh, and like uh, this isn't quite right, just because uh, the uh, uh, the calculation is a little bit off because like there's like uh, initial margin conditions that you have to think about. But let's pretend that that means that if uh, your position goes one percent against you, then you get liquidated. Is that again? Mm-hmm. That's not quite right, but it's very close. Um, and uh, so basically, this means and so like if you look at like any crypto graph, like look, look at Bitcoin's graph today, uh, it's it it always moves one percent. Like there's there aren't days where it doesn't move one percent in at least one of the directions. Usually both. Um, and uh, so if you're putting on this hundred x long position. Uh, you have to be like really sure uh, that it's not going to go down one percent before it does anything else, uh, and it it turns out that like no, it's impossible to be that sure. Like uh, if you're that sure, if it, like it, I think that I've been that confident about a trade like a uh, like a crypto trade, like maybe like two percent of the time ever. Uh, like crypto is just so volatile, Bitcoin is so volatile that like you're just gonna see these like one percent moves in other direction like way too often for this hundred x lever long position to make sense. Uh, because, uh, like, yes, like, you can say that it's zero, like, if we just think it's coin flips, like, there's no, like, pot, uh, if we think it's coin flips, but uh, but you're buying, so obviously you think it's good to buy. Uh, so there, it's not like we're, like, sure it's going to go down. But when it does go down, uh, you get liquidated. Uh, and liquidations are, like, way worse than sort of anything because they get they market order you into the, into the order book uh, without any regard to price. Uh, and that's just going to cost you way too much money when it happens uh, for this trade to make sense on average. Uh, so, like, yeah, like sometimes, like it'll go up, a li- it'll never go down, and it'll go, it'll go up, and so, so like you'll have 100x to what you would have made if you hadn't levered up. Uh, but uh, the times when it does go down just cost you so much that if you do this trade like 100 times, uh, you're going to lose way too much on average because of because of the cost of liquidation. Uh, so it's not like I think there's like a moral reason or uh, that this shouldn't be pu- allowed, but like. No one should do this. Like, if, if, if anyone's, if you're trying to make money, it's just a bad idea. Uh, and, like, to the extent that people do do it anyway, like, yeah, it's plausible someone has some responsibility to be regulating it. But uh, personally, I think it should be regulated by the people who don't want to lose money. <laughs> but Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I know you work for Alameda Research, but you do have the relationship with FTX. Do you know what uh, maximum leverage they offer? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, they just recently uh, start reduced their maximum leverage, I believe, to 20x from 100x, uh, just sort of uh, in keeping with this idea that this doesn't actually make sense for anyone. But that's that's quite a good thing for them to do because that's them considering their users. Yeah, that's right. That's when their users ahead of themselves. Yeah, on some level. Um, I, I don't, I'm not uh, super privy to the decision-making thinking or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like obviously to first order, uh, it's uh, it benefits users because it like stops them from getting liquidated when they might have otherwise. Um, but like to second order, like uh, like let's say that that can persist for a while, uh, and like other exchanges have more liquidations than FTX does, uh, and their users like start getting upset at them. Uh, it's pl- pretty plausibly uh, good for the exchange as well. I think. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about market making as well, because this is something that people ask a lot about as well, and also find quite difficult to understand. Sometimes it feels like a, a little bit of a, a murky place. But I, I mean, again, it's not one of those things. It's been explained to me a bunch of times, but I don't really understand it. Can you explain how it works? What the role of a market maker is? Because I, I've also seen it before. Like if a new coin comes to the market, someone offered to market make on behalf of that coin, but sometimes there's like a payment or a premium to support that, and I don't fully understand it. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. So the the actual mechanics of it uh, are basically like uh, Alameda has these uh, these bots uh, that can be put, putting out orders all the time, twenty four seven, with what sort of whatever specifications that we want. Uh, some of those specifications are uh, we can say, oh, we want like five bitcoins out within twenty bips of the best the best bid and offer. Uh, we want fifteen bitcoins out within one percent of the best bid and offer. And uh, like we just whenever the market moves, uh, we move those orders as well. Um, and so what that does uh, is uh, uh, the main the, the main reason reasoning behind wanting it uh, is generally like bootstrapping liquidity on uh, new markets uh, or new, for like for new projects. Uh, so this might be something that an exchange wants, for instance, uh, because like exchanges uh, like the value add that an, that an exchange ha- might have versus its competitors is that it, oh, it has like li- this guaranteed liquidity all the time. Uh, and it's like you can uh, they can make claims like, oh, if you want liquidity, you can always get it here uh, in th- like this entire class of products. Um, so that's that's like one the uh, one set like reason that this might make sense. Uh, another reason it might make sense is for the projects themselves. Um, so yeah, like like you just mentioned, uh, when new coins pop up, uh, they might like secure an exchange listing. Uh, but like generally uh, being like being a successful crypto project and having a token that's getting listed on some exchange doesn't really correlate with uh, like having the capacity to have orders out all the time. Uh, it's like a quite specialized skill. Uh, and so yeah, often they'll go to a firm uh, like uh, like Alameda uh, that has market making capacity uh, and uh, give them some incentive to uh, be market making all the time. Uh, in general, the incentives, at least uh, the ones that we tended to want, uh, are not really like a cash payment or anything like that. Uh, we'll basically just want uh, to be allowed in on their like their, their most recent investing round or something like that. Um, it uh, sort of aligns incentives a lot better, uh, just because like we like we'd much rather just like want their project to succeed at the same time that we're helping it to succeed by market making. Uh, and so like just getting along their project makes a lot of sense. Um, it also is sort of necessary on some level because uh, if like let's say that we're market making like token X, uh, that means we're placing bids and offers out. Uh, in general, uh, if uh, if the uh, if there are like net buyers, we'll end up net selling, uh, and like at some point we'll have to like deliver tokens when that when the buyer withdraws. Uh, so it generally helps for us to have bought them beforehand in order to like be be allowed to sell uh, in in that sense. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's the gist of the entire business. I think, um, we're just, yeah, leveraging our capacity to have orders out all the time, uh, versus like various people who have incentive to want, want orders out all the time. Can a market maker ever end up in a situation where they're holding, essentially holding the bag themselves? Uh, not if they've done it correctly, I guess. (laughs) Um, uh, because in general, uh, like I think most exchanges uh, are not going to let you place out offers, um, uh, like for coins that you didn't like ha- deposit yourself or buy or like borrow uh, from a margin lending platform uh, on their exchange itself. Uh, so it's generally not going to be super possible uh, for uh, for you to like have sold tokens that you didn't have. Um, one thing that uh, like I've at least heard of uh, is. Uh, market making agreements where the projects, uh, instead of selling the tokens to the market maker, uh, loaned them to them. Uh, and that is a situation where like, yeah, like the market maker might end up screwed if they, uh, if they like have to buy them back after selling them after, cause like presumably the price has then gone up. So they're kind of just screwed. Uh, but that would sort of constitute a large mistake on the market maker's behalf. Uh, and an experienced market maker wouldn't, wouldn't end up in that spot. I don't think. What's the what's the risk then to market makers, or is it a, is it a no risk business if you know what you're doing? It's kind of no risk, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can sort of, you can certainly make it riskier if you feel like it. Uh, like, uh, so uh, Alameda has entered into agreements like the one I just described with the loans uh, with the, with one uh, important uh, change, uh, which is that uh, we also had options on the tokens uh, as the as the price went up. Uh, so the problem with the with the structure I described is that the price goes up. Uh, we've net sold, and so now we have to buy back uh, to process withdrawals or like pay pay back a loan or something. Um, and so that like we sold at lower prices and have to buy at higher ones. Uh, if we have options the entire way up, uh, then we can then we are like, yes, we've net sold as the price went up, but uh, we also had options to buy as the price went up from the from the projects uh, and are able to just like sort of buy that and pay the loans back with that. Um, and that is like a slightly riskier uh, situation just because like there can be like sort of momentary price movements that uh, are out of line with the, that make us sell like too much at, at low price levels right. or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's like still like, like we'll still make money on average doing this. So we're okay with it uh, in general. Uh, in general, it's quite riskless though, especially the, the, like the simpler structures that I described uh, where you're sort of just getting paid to paid to make orders that like your bots sort of can do sort of for free anyway can market makers push price around at all can they push price up push price down uh anyone who has uh who like owns enough tokens relative to liquidity uh just in sort of in general can do that if they feel like it uh this is another thing where if uh if Alameda were consistently doing something like that, like, oh, like we have a bunch of these tokens, let's, let's move the, let's like lift up, remove all of our offers like a couple times a day that sort of like forces the price up because uh, there, cause there's like no one to sell anymore. So like, yes, we could do that. Uh, we never would. Uh, we've, we found our market making agreements to be pretty profitable for us. Uh, if we got a reputa- reputation for doing that, we would lose all future flow. So like, yeah, we might make a little bit of money once, uh, but no project would ever want to want to use this again, uh, and that would be pretty costly for us in the long run. Uh, so, like, I guess the answer is yes. Market makers can do that, but in general, they don't have incentive to. 
Right, because I again something I don't not not fully understanding market making. But I just wonder if there's ever kind of like a conflict of interest owning tokens or having an interest in a project, but also market making for it. Can you push the price around and increase the net value of the tokens you hold? I mean, you might not do it, but maybe other you know slightly more nefarious market makers might be able to do <laughs> such a thing. It's possible. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it's not possible, uh, but. Yeah, again, that's sort of just true for anyone who owns a bunch of the token. Uh, like, let's say that I have, uh, or like even as much of money. Uh, like, if I have a bunch of money uh, and I feel like uh, like shooting the price of some low market cap coin up, I I can. Uh, I agree that you like, what you described with uh, like uh, owning a bunch of the token gives you the incentive. Uh, but uh, yeah, so like it's not like this is impossible for me to imagine. But uh, like I said, Alameda has no incentive to do this, so we wouldn't. It's funny listening to you talk about this. Is uh, you're obviously very passionate about it, and I. Yeah, you moved on from Siskahana, like one of the biggest firms there is. Uh, like, what, what was the incentive to move on? Was it just the excitement of the crypto market, or or was it more because you recognize so much opportunities? Like you mentioned earlier with the arbitrage. Uh, yeah, if I'm being honest, it was all uh, all opportunity to make money. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I, I didn't even really. Uh, it, it took. I think I was probably not long Bitcoin for an embarrassingly long time. Uh, even after I was like fo- sort of fo- focusing full time on Bitcoin. Um, I didn't really have any strong uh, opinions about like the technology or like whether crypto made sense or was the future or anything like that. Uh, I, 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 I sort of acquired that along the way, uh, but I didn't have that for a long time. I really was just like noticing arbitrages and finding it irresponsible not to be focusing on it when I could be making more money doing that than, than anything else I was aware of. So you, you spotted your crypto money printer. I mean, I would have done the same if I had the same skills as you. But so has your view changed then on Bitcoin? Are you are you more into the technology and what it brings and what maybe some of the maxis debate about on Twitter? Uh, it definitely has started feeling more plausible to me uh, that uh, like crypto in various forms and Bitcoin uh, will uh, form a lot of the, the future of finance, I guess. Um, this isn't something I'm an expert on at all. Uh, like I, I don't really understand the tech, a, lot, a lot of the technology uh, beyond like uh, what people think about it. Because uh, from the perspective of a trader, it matters a lot more what people think uh, than like what is actually going on. Um, and so I, I understand that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't exactly understand the technology. Uh, I do, like I said, I do uh, believe that this has like has like a huge chance of being a, a big part of the future. And I think that's been reflected in like. How excited people have gotten about it! Uh, the, the the sort of large institutions that have uh, become much more interested in, in crypto and Bitcoin, um, and yeah, I, I think we'll like continue seeing that. Uh, but it's it uh, it's exciting to see the world uh, sort of deciding its opinion about these things. Uh, like even like as we as we speak, sort of uh, the Senate is talking about this, though, which is really cool. Yeah, well, you've obviously got a lot of experience with traditional markets as well. Um, and you've talked about Bitcoin itself, even amongst a, a sea of crypto projects ha- being highly volatile and lots of opportunity there. Do you see a scenario where Bitcoin becomes less volatile? Does more liquidity change things? Because I know a lot, big, a lot of Bitcoiners defend the volatility. We're bootstrapping a brand new monetary uh, technology from zero to, you know, we hit a trillion dollar market cap at one point. Is there a time where we get more stability or do you think it, this is just the way it is? Uh, yeah, so I definitely think uh, like I think we've already seen this uh, start happening, uh, like the market becoming more stable. Um, like I think it would be like to, to use like the most recent example of like a, a hugely uh, unstable event. Like March twelfth, twenty twenty, saw the market crash 
uh, like sort of below 4K uh, from starting like around like 8 or 9K or something like that. Um, and uh, this was like the, the crash itself like made a lot of sense. Uh, it was in direct response uh, to the stock market crashing uh, because of uh, because of like sort of people deciding COVID was like actually happening. Um, but Bitcoin uh, fell way more uh, than the stock market did. Uh, and uh, the, the biggest reason that happened, uh, there's a few reasons why it happened, but the biggest reason uh, is the effect that I was just talking about earlier with liquidation. Um, so uh, because so many people were allowed to be like really levered up uh, and like uh, levered long in particular on that day, uh, when the market started crashing, uh, a lot of these positions started going bankrupt. Uh, the biggest place it was happening on that day was uh, BitMEX. So we'll talk about that. Um, the like a lot of people were like levered long on BitMEX, uh, and because like oh like uh, Bitcoin fell from nine k to seven k, and maybe that was the organic part. Maybe that was the part that was actually mirroring the stock market. Uh, but that's like a twenty percent drop, uh, and so anyone who was five x levered or more uh, is like getting liquidated now. Uh, and so that sort of, uh, and like I mentioned, the way that's mechanics, uh, is, uh, they, uh, the exchange BitMEX in this case, uh, sends market sales into the order book, uh, for all of those positions that, that went bankrupt. Uh, and that drives the price down even more. So maybe that drove the price from seven to six K. Uh, and that's another 10% that liquidates a bunch more people, uh, sending even more, uh, market sales into the order book. And this sort of just keeps happening and happening. Uh, and with a big enough move, which is what we had on March 12th, uh, this can actually just go infinite on some level. Uh, uh, because if uh, if more uh, if every liquidation order uh, triggers more liquidations than the size of that order, uh, this actually will keep going forever until everyone is liquidated. Um, and yeah, that's what we would have seen. Like Bitcoin uh, fell below 4K, uh, which is like super, a super inorganic level. Uh, no one wanted to sell it that low, but they were forced to. Um, and... Yeah, BitMEX, uh, BitMEX then went down for 45 minutes <laughs> mm. um, and uh, wasn't allowed to process any more liquidations. And then it sort of came back up and Bitcoin was at 5K or something. Uh, and now they didn't need to. Um, so, yeah, on some level, like if uh, if that hadn't happened, uh, Bitcoin might have printed at zero uh, on BitMEX. Uh, we, we'll sort of never know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, this, this, this is the sort of thing that, uh, like, this is the kind of effect that produces the instability that you're talking about. Uh, like the high leverage... Uh, and like sort of low liquidity relative to the the open interest of the contracts that are being that are being opened up, uh, and yeah, so I definitely think that we're moving to a place where this is less likely. Uh, exchanges taking steps like FTX did, uh, where like higher leverage is like less allowed. Uh, the market sort of itself uh, starting to understand this a bit. Uh, like o- like over the past year or something, uh, we've uh, we've seen a large shift uh, in like open interest of derivatives contracts uh, to open interest in like levered spot. Uh, on exchanges that offer spot margin, uh, and this that, like in itself, that's not like a huge a huge thing. Uh, but it happens that uh, spot margin in general uh, sees much lower leverage uh, than derivatives does. Uh, and yeah, just any move to lower leverage is going to decrease this uh, short term instability that we see in Bitcoin's price. Uh, because it's worth noting, like the short term instability is really what matters. Uh, Long term, uh, yes, Bitcoin's price is moving. In general, it's moving up for the most part. Um, uh, and or at least it has been uh, historically. Uh, the short-term moves where it like oh like sometimes it goes up up like up twenty percent then down twenty percent the next week like th- that's driven by the leverage uh, I think more than anything. Uh, and that's the thing that I think people are talking about when they uh, mention that Bitcoin's instability price instability is like negative uh, or bad. And that is the kind of thing I think we'll see less.
so that's really useful to understand. Uh, so, and I guess there's only so many times that people can get liquidated, right? If uh, you know, it has to naturally evolve to a place where, because like if you're if you're a retail investor and you keep getting liquidated, essentially you're you're really a gambler, uh, and there's only so long you can gamble. And even if you're a big institution, you get liquidated. So does 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 the market naturally react? And and, and I guess what the question I'll be asking is, uh, and I'm going to come back to your 29K call, but we've moved up quite nicely from 29 to about 46K. Are you seeing a mm-hmm. massive load up of leverage, or is this, are you seeing something slightly different this time? Right. Uh, so, yeah, I'll address that in a few pieces. Uh, one, uh, so yeah, that's another big effect here uh, is that uh, like over time, uh, like yeah, like you said, the high leverage traders are in effect gamblers, uh, and uh, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that the person who's doing the hundred x leverage thing a hundred times, uh, eventually they're just going to have lost so much money uh, from doing that, uh, and uh, this like like a, a larger version of that effect uh, is that the people who keep doing this like do just sort of have to stop trading at some point or at the very least they have to stop doing that uh because yeah like they're just going to lose all their money at some point uh and like or or just become so like disillusioned with the entire idea that they, they just stop uh so that's definitely an effect we have seen uh the market has shifted away from people like that toward people who are using lower leverage uh, or no leverage at all uh and that's yeah so that's sort of been one organic effect uh, in addition uh like over the past year, like one of the prevailing narratives has been uh, like Bitcoin is seeing institutional adoption, uh, like banks are getting in, like Elon's getting in, whatever, like all these people who uh, who are like predominantly going to be buying spot Bitcoin and not not derivatives uh, have been entering the market. Uh, and yeah, so that's been another effect in the, in the same direction uh, where like the high leverage contracts are becoming less important uh, and the lower leverage or spot contracts are becoming more important uh, in like in terms of like actual like long-term net flow that's driving the price of Bitcoin longer term. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I, and I, so I definitely think that that's, uh, that's been going on. Uh, in terms of like the recent move, um, uh, it hasn't like, yeah, it's sort of just been a part of the same kind of longer-term trend uh, where uh, we're seeing inflows uh, not on the BitMEX Bitcoin perpetuals anymore uh, or the Binance perpetuals. Uh, we are we are still seeing that, seeing that, of course, and the Binance perpetuals uh, are quite important. Uh, but uh, like this move, uh, I think had like less of that uh, than previous moves, and I think that's sort of just a trend we're going to keep seeing. Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors, and this week we're kicking off with BlockFi, who were pleased to announce they've launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more Sats. The BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. Also, for the first three months of card ownership, you get to earn 3.5% back in Bitcoin and for everything you spend over $50,000 a year, you get 2% back in Bitcoin. It is the smartest way to stack sats and if you want to find out more, please head over to BlockFi.com which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, over four years, and I'm still using that same Nano S that I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you're an Android phone user, you can connect that to your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. 
If you want to find out more, please do head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have my exclusive exchange sponsor, Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin. I say it every week, but I'm not selling Bitcoin. I'm buying Bitcoin. And I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I have also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. You know what? I have yet to see a better or easier interface for doing this. Now, with a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing. And that is all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And lastly, this week, we have Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lois TSB, my bank of 25 years, closed down all my accounts recently. They clearly don't like Bitcoin. But Revolut got in touch. And they're like, Pete, come on. Come over to us. Move your shit to us. So I did. I set up my account with Revolut. It took me, what, a couple of hours and everything was transferred across. You know what? Most importantly, they love Bitcoin and they do want to make it easier for you to transfer to exchanges. And now Revolut are offering $20 or £20 for all new customers that complete three card transactions. It only takes a few minutes to set up and you could create a card and add it to Apple Pay immediately and get that cash in your pocket. But I wouldn't do that. I would convert that shit straight to Bitcoin. Now this is a new relationship and I'm working hard with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin friendly. There is a lot to navigate, but we are working hard at this. If you do want to find out more, please head over to revolute.com forward slash WBD. That is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. All right, let's talk about your core, your 29K core, <laughs> 10 <laughs> minutes <laughs> before it started pumping up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was that? So, that so was, Danny. That was cool. <laughs> Yeah, so Daddy, Daddy sent me the tweet, and he was like, "Yeah, you got to ask him about this." Uh, did you just get lucky on the moment, or did you have a real kind of gut feel? Like, did you know it was coming that soon? Uh, I, I certainly did not know it was coming within ten minutes. Um, that, uh, uh, it, like, the, the trade I was talking about there uh, was sort of like a days long thing that I was thinking. Uh, so, I mean, uh, the reason. So like when uh, when Bitcoin fell to thirty uh, k or twenty nine k or whatever, uh, it uh, uh, so like uh, there were a few reasons why it seemed uh, like fairly uh, fairly likely to revert uh, on like some time scale. Uh, the, uh, the the main reasoning being uh, uh, so we were sort of in a uh, we're sort of, or we sort of still are in a paradigm where I think uh, the market reacts super strongly to news, uh, uh, where news can mean like a variety of different things. Uh, news can be like a tweet from Elon Musk uh, saying that he uh, is like buying Bitcoin or is like now he's on Doge because Bitcoin sucks. Uh, or like a few weeks later, like, oh, no, Bitcoin's fine again as long as it fixes these two things. Uh, so like, and that can be news. Uh, but there can be other news. Like uh, China has a lot of news come out uh, pretty routinely. Uh, like we like a few weeks ago, we were seeing uh, like various stories about like, oh, now China's banning Bitcoin again. Uh, or, uh, and then, like, oh, like, never mind. It's it's actually only like restricting leverage on a few platforms, uh, and like, there's still a lot of a lack of clarity coming out of China. Uh, but this constitutes news as well. Uh, and like, the U.S. has news. Like, all these like the market reacts to like all kinds of things these days. Uh, but uh, in my opinion, uh, and uh, this like the math sort of bears this out. Uh, the market overreacts to news like most times. Uh, and the way you can see that uh, is that the market will like move in a certain direction, uh, like generally the predictable direction. Like if uh, news reads is obviously good, it will move, it will go up. Um, uh, but uh, in general, like over like the hours after the market reacts to news like that, uh, it will go 
like go the opposite direction, uh, like for like some fraction of the move. Um, so like uh, if Bitcoin goes down because of bad China news, uh, it will generally like go down X percent and then go back up X over 2% or something like that. Uh, so it always like reverts part of its moves. Uh, and the dip to 29K uh, was sort of uh, part of that pattern. Uh, it had fallen, like there, there had been like sort of a barrage of like things the market obviously viewed as bad. Um, and like w- whether or not they actually were bad, like again, I'm not really the guy to tell you. Uh, I can tell you what people think, but not really like <laughs> much about the fundamentals. Um, but yeah, the market dipped to 29K off of the back of this. Uh, and another exacerbating thing was uh, this sort of liquidation effect again. Uh, like uh, on the way down, uh, there were a lot of levered logs getting liquidated. Uh, and on March 12th, we saw the, the dip to below 4K uh, revert quite fast because, like I said, no one wanted to sell below 4K. Uh, the second it got below 4K and people were able to start buying, uh, they were really excited to. Uh, and I sort of figured something similar was going to happen with 29K uh, because uh, it, it's much less extreme. Like uh, there were organic sellers because of the news, maybe down to 33 or 34K. Uh, but there were a lot of liquidations that drove it down to 29. Uh, and yeah, it just sort of seemed like so much of the net outflows were either inorganic because of liquidation uh, or uh, rife, like ready to revert because they were because of news that I'd seen revert a million times before. Uh, and yeah, so it seemed quite likely uh, that 29 was too low and it was going to revert. Uh, I did not think it was going to happen within 10 minutes. Uh, I was thinking more six hours or a day or something. Uh, but yeah, no complaints. Uh, it certainly quite, made me look smart. <laughs> it was quite the call. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions on news and sentiment as well, because it feels mm-hmm. to me as somebody following the price that uh, sentiment uh, or news uh, seems to seems to track to momentum. So uh, during the kind of you know, dip from twenty nine. Uh, sorry, from sixty four to twenty nine. We had the news of El Salvador coming out, which was quite bullish news of a country accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. Tender, and there was very little movement in the price. Whereas, I think if this had come out maybe at like sixty two, we might have seen another leg up. So it seems to me that it's like there's a certain uh, correlation between news and momentum. Uh, and another thing I did notice is uh, back to what you were saying. I remember when. Uh, uh, Elon Musk announced that uh, Tesla would be accepting Bitcoin as a payment, and the the, the it shot up like three or four k, and probably mm-hmm. like within two hours it came back down. It was a real kind of yep. Bart Simpson uh, <laughs> pattern. So, I guess as a quant trader, y- this would be useful for short term trades, but really pe- people should not overreact too much to news. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in general. Uh yeah, just like looking into what sort of the impact of news in the past has been, uh, not the immediate impact. It's really important to look at like uh, what the like the net impact over the next day was uh, from these like sort of big news items that that you'll sometimes see. Uh, and like, yeah, like for the for the initial couple Elon Musk tweets, it was kind of hard because we hadn't seen anything exactly like that before. Um, but yeah, like this sort of like a sanity check, like did like. Yeah, should Bitcoin have moved up 4K off of this one piece of info from Elon Musk? That like, yes, it was an update, but like, was it was it this big of an update? Like, it, it should be, like I I just think yeah, applying a sanity check like that uh, is generally a good idea. Um, I mean, for what it's worth, uh, on some level, it still that doesn't exactly matter. Uh, uh, really, really short term. Uh, so one of one one strategy Alameda now uses uh, is. Uh, we alert, or like we have a bot that's always looking for Elon's tweets. Uh, and uh, if we believe that we've caught something within like five seconds, 
uh, we will be willing to like bet pretty big on it. Even if Bitcoin's already moved a little bit, uh, we'll still be willing to like keep going in the same direction if we think that we've beaten like a, enough, a high enough fraction of the market to knowing about it. Uh, so like really short term, it doesn't matter. Uh, but if we put on a trade like that, we will try and exit it pretty quickly, uh, <laughs> uh, just in general, because yeah, like uh, the Elon, the, the Elon effect has really uh, changed a lot in that, it, like there is like a big move right away, but it reverts within like a minute these days. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting because if you're uh, reacting within five seconds, you always have to make a decision whether that's positive or negative news as well. Yeah, we tried to write a bot to do that, but it turns out sentiment analysis uh, by computers is still not exactly perfect, especially when Elon's tweets are not always text even. Uh, they're sometimes just like a picture of a dog uh, on a spaceship, uh, and you have to decide if that's good or not for, for whatever. <laughs> so is there, is there a person who's literally sat there waiting for the alert and they're ready to click and within five seconds make a decision? It's a Slack channel, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we our traders will be watching it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about was sometimes you see Bitcoin, say, paint a 2, 3, 4K candle pretty quickly. Uh, but my understanding is if somebody's going into the market to buy a large amount of Bitcoin, they'll usually go through an OTC desk and they will be trying to buy small little increments for a couple of reasons. One, to get the best price, but also, especially if you're buying a billion dollars worth, you don't want to signal to the market you're buying a billion dollars worth. You want to be quite clever. So when we do see these big candles painted, what is going on here? And I know there's probably a much more complicated answer, but I don't understand, therefore, is that somebody who is fat fingering a $100 million, $200 million buy, or is there something else going on? Uh, yeah, so it's definitely, uh, there's a few things that can be going on, uh, and I don't exactly know, uh, it, it's because, uh, like, Alavita has never done this, <laughs> uh, so I'm not exactly sure about, like, what people's reasoning is when they're doing this, uh, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, you'll, you'll you'll sometimes see things like that uh, in the wake of news, uh, where, like, maybe someone thinks they only have a minute to respond to this, and they think there's going to be a big impact, so they sort of have to, uh, have to send what amounts to a market order to, to buy a lot or whatever. Um, so that's like one possible explanation sometimes, uh, but like you see it all the time. Uh, and so it's not, this isn't like the only thing going on. Uh, one thing that can be going on, uh, is, uh, it can be the, it can be like one of the liquidation market sale market, uh, buys or sales uh, that I talked about before, uh, where, uh, it's, it's not exactly the person doing it, but it's the exchange doing it. Um, that's something that we see sometimes, uh, and it looks identically to what you described. Uh, sometimes uh, it's going to be someone who doesn't really understand trading very well uh, or who doesn't have access to the kind of liquidity that you're talking about and who also doesn't like write bots to do this uh, in a more intelligent way. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't have a very satisfying answer to this as no. far as like, I agree that it's kind of a crazy thing that no one should ever do, but I agree that people do it. <laughs> but also, I guess one of those ones that can paint up and paint down very quickly, could that also be a scenario like you guys, you've seen an Elon tweet, you've reacted, you've done the buy, and then maybe you've reconsidered and thought, actually, we should get out of this one. Could it be that kind of scenario as well? It could. Uh, so that's not going to be what we do in general. Uh, so uh, when I... Uh, if I like see an Elon tweet and I want to buy, uh, the way that our automated bots work uh, is a little more complex. I think uh, insofar as like I don't tell the bot, uh, "Hey, go buy a ton of Bitcoin on Binance." Uh, I tell the bot, "I want to get long Bitcoin," uh, and the bot uh, sort of uh, splits the order up for me across every Bitcoin market uh, in order okay. to like get get better pricing. Uh, 
but yeah, the, the kind of thing you're describing is definitely possible uh, more globally. Okay, so look, we uh, we went down to 29k. Um, that was the first time I bought since uh, myself since I think 37k. So when we were up near 64, I didn't. When we were down at 29k, I didn't buy exactly at 29. I actually bought uh, when we were up to about 32. Uh, it's the first one I've done in ages. And one of the reasons I bought is because there was so much negative sentiment. Uh, it felt like 30K was being defended quite well uh, as a price, yet there was so much negative sentiment calling for like 20K. And it felt like a drop down to 20K would have been a, like a unique scenario mid-bull market. So me, like, and this is really just gut feel, like in the air, <laughs> fuck it, let's go with it. It felt like a bullish time because everyone was so negative. Do you, do you ever find that, like, when the market's super negative, actually, that is a time to be bullish? Uh, it uh, It's definitely, like, the sort of signal you're talking about is definitely, like, a real thing, I think, uh, where uh, uh, if, uh, like, especially around, with round numbers, uh, there, there can be, like, these very this very distinctive behavior around round numbers uh, in crypto. Uh, so as, as a way earlier example of, of something similar, uh, when... Like uh, like last winter, uh, when Bitcoin like hadn't cracked 20k yet, but was like like it kept getting up to 20k like over and over again, um, and uh, sort of going right back down, or at least like not a, a little bit at least. Uh, uh, like the, the the thing going on was that there was like a ton of resistance to Bitcoin getting above 20k. Uh, there were a ton of people who were like, oh, Bitcoin's never gonna hit, get above 20k. Like it, like I've been around for three years and it hasn't. Uh, and so like they're like like selling uh, Bitcoin like at 20k. Uh, because they believe that it's not going to get above 20k, uh, but Bitcoin uh, sort of stayed right under 20k forever, and it kept testing it, uh, as people mm, will say. Um, I remember, uh, but it, but it never like got above 20k, uh, and the fact that it didn't get much below 20k, even though there was obviously so much resistance uh, below 20k, uh, was sort of like a pretty strong signal uh, that like oh like if it ever does get uh, get above 20k, it's going to go way above 20k uh, because. All of these resistance sales are happening exactly at 20k. If it gets above it, if it gets 21, it's probably going to go to 25 very quickly, uh, which is like actually exactly what happened. Um, and uh, the reason that I think that uh, this effect is not uh, what was happening, uh, or not what like sort of ended up happening, uh, like around 30k, uh, is that like the lead up to 20k was like the thing going on for years. Uh, there were a ton of people who were super excited to be buying. Uh, the the sentiment was like obviously like a lot stronger I think uh, at least on the buying side uh, than it was on the selling side most recently uh, like uh, getting below thirty um, and so that's what I think is like the big difference between these two situations uh, but yeah thinking really hard about the about the the actual effects and like what people are doing around round numbers uh, has like is sort of like more important than I than it uh, it maybe ought to be uh, and more important than it is in traditional markets uh, where uh, which are like less because uh, cryptos, crypto and the Bitcoin market are like so much more uh, immature, I guess, uh, and uh, like these sort of like level one analyses of like, oh, like what were people thinking around like thirty k? Like uh, these actually do matter quite a bit. Well, a hundred k. I mean, what are you thinking around? Because <laughs> I keep thinking in my head, a hundred k is going to be a you know, it's going to be a massive number, a bit like a one k was, a bit like ten k was. Although, as I remember, ten k we shot straight through, but a hundred k, I'm thinking that is a massive number. That's going to be a number a lot of people are going to be thinking about. So perhaps people are going to be trying to, you know, be one step ahead and be selling at ninety five. Well, you know, if people are thinking about that, but perhaps it'll be ninety. Like I'm in this kind of like psychological game in my head, thinking about how right. people <laughs> replay it. Is it something you're? Th- well, I guess you are thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is that I think that uh, most times I've tried to play psychological games like that 
uh, in crypto trading ha have gone badly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, insofar as like, uh, I often find that the the level one explanation ends up just sort of being the correct one. Uh, an example might be, uh, so like, it's pretty well known that like, or like, not well known, but like a, a common mantra in the crypto trading world uh, is to buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, like when, like the Bitcoin happening, for instance, is a good example uh, where people are talking about the happening a lot. Uh, and sort of the conventional wisdom, uh, like for all of these, like all of these events is always like, oh, like it's, it's going to rally going into it. Uh, and uh, if you like think about it, like if I know that, like if I, if uh, like if I'm like a trader who knows uh, every that every time, every time there's any event, uh, you're supposed to buy into it uh, and then like sell the event itself. Um, I should just buy like before that I should maybe buy two months before the event because everyone knew when it was going to happen. Uh, but it still happened. <laughs> like it's uh, uh, the rally into the event still did happen. Uh, and it happened again, most re like with the, with the, ETH, uh, with the ETH London fork. Uh, and yeah, like if you level yourself with these things, you're going to like buy way before the event and not like in the weeks leading up, but you still are, I guess, supposed to buy in the weeks leading up. Uh, cause level the level one explanation is still right uh so i would i would advise against leveling yourself on the like oh maybe i'll sell 90k because the market's gonna try and do that um like it leveling doesn't work in crypto uh and <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that, that's why that's what one of the things i thought maybe happened during this bull market because i think we we you know we got up to like 60k and and everyone was so bullish and people saying, no, it's going to go to 70 and then we're going to 100 and people saying mm -hmm. we're going to go 300k this bull market and people were looking at the the charts from 2017 and it was kind of very similar, a few 30% dips, but you know, we're definitely not going to see a 50% dip because that didn't happen in 2017. And I felt like, well, was that, was that what happened? Was it too many people leveraged up, too many people thinking the same was going to happen and add in a little bit of negative news and we get you know the rug, the rug pulled from us essentially? Yeah, the 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 rally up to like the, the most recent peaks, like in the sixties, um, that that is like we saw a lot of leverage uh, uh, leading the way there, uh, and uh, like so, it's not guaranteed uh, in general that uh, a move that's led by a lot of leverage is going to revert or anything. Uh, but the effect that does happen uh, is that like let's say that a ton of leverage, like there was like a lot of leverage the entire way up, and let's let, let's just let say to sixty five k. If uh, like let's say that I uh, put on like a huge lever position uh, like at like every point basically so like I, I did that at 50k I did that at 55 at 60 um, when so like if the market never dips uh, great uh, I've sort of just made money like all across the board uh, and uh, like nothing bad will ever happen to me uh, I've just sort of like have made a bunch of money and I can close the positions when I feel like it uh, if the market does dip at all like let's say the market just dips down to 60k for a bit uh, and I've like and again, I'm using really high leverage. Uh, some of my positions are going are to get liquidated now. Uh, and yeah, this is sort of just like what ended up happening. The market dipped a little bit, uh, and then the market had to dip a lot uh, because uh, so many people had gotten so so much leverage uh, at high levels. Um, and uh, so yeah, I think that's a lot of what uh, what, what ended up happening. Um, what, and so for, people yeah. panicked and sold, and therefore it created that cascading effect. Some got out, some didn't. Yeah, I, I'm... Uh, I'm not going to like claim why the initial dip happened, uh, but uh, yes, I think that is basically what happened once the initial dip happened. Wow. So looking at now, I mean, 29K for, certainly for people who are new to Bitcoin was 
quite scary, uh, having been up so high at 64. Somebody who's been through a couple of bull markets, seen this before, I was still a bit like, meh, I'm, you know, this is fine, whatever. Uh, but we are now back up. I just had a look. I think we just hit about 46 and a half. Again, this feels oh, really? like, yeah, yeah, I think 46, 600 maybe when oh, yeah. we were talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, miss, you miss a lot in an hour, yeah. I know, man. It's like, it's wild. I've had it before when I've been on a plane. I had it once when I was on a plane and I bought a watch before I got on a plane in 2017, feeling like confident because the market was great and we 30% dipped and that was pre-Wi-Fi on British <laughs> Airways. So I get off the plane and we've 30% dipped and I've lost the uh, cost of my watch. But <laughs> but, but yeah. it feels like, it feels like, this move up again, it feels like it's quite a strong move up. But what, what's your sentiment about where we are? Are you like super bullish? Are you guarded bullish? Um, yeah, so I, I agree uh, in the like with the it's been a strong move up sentiment on some level. Insofar as uh, yeah, again uh, the the leverage has been lower uh, of the new like of new contracts that are being opened. Uh, like a lot more of it is in like the spot markets. Uh, we re- like yeah we we've seen uh, the open interest of like various like spot borrowing platforms, uh, like the the amount being borrowed is like of like USD uh, has gone up a lot uh, in the past like month or few weeks or something, uh, and uh, so yeah, that this sort of just suggests that like people are like m- more of the more of the buying that's happening right now is happening on these markets that are less likely to get liquidated if there's a small dip, uh, and so yeah, like in that sense, I agree that the the buying right now is like stronger or uh, less likely to get completely undone uh, than the, than like what sent us above 60 K last time. Um, uh, In terms of like what I'm expecting short term, uh, like, yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to say right now. Uh, The, I think that, uh, I think that like the spotlight uh, that has been on crypto uh, has like in the U S for instance, over the past few days uh, with uh, the, like with the amendments to this bill, uh, that have been being like pretty heavily discussed. Uh, I think uh, it's easy to miss the forest for the trees uh, in thinking about that. Uh, like, yes, like, oh, like the specifics of like which of these amendments is going to pass. Uh, like, is this going to be like, like which set of coins is this going to be like terrible for? Uh, like, whatever. Uh, like, like yes, like it, these these matter. Uh, but like, I think the important thing here is like the U.S. government is talking about crypto. Uh, in a way that like is actually just dominating the news on some level. Mm. Like uh, I'm I'm very tuned into like crypto news, so like I like you know, when something like this happens, I always hear about it. Uh, but I sort of look at like a regular news source, and like it is actually what people are talking about right now. Uh, and it's not in an especially negative way. Uh, it's uh, like the the work being done in Washington has seemed to me to be like actually like like looking for solutions on some level in a way that Washington isn't always, uh, and in a way that I guess I wasn't naively expecting, uh, this, uh, to go. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that it's been pretty exciting, uh, just to be like, yeah, like crypto is like actually like gaining traction in, in the world, uh, in like, obviously we knew that, like we've, uh, it's been the narrative for the past few years. Uh, but yeah, this was, uh, this was kind of revelatory for me. Uh, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see things like that keep happening. Uh, and if things like that do keep happening, I think we'll see the price sort of start to reflect that in a way that I think has happened over the past few days. Like I think this is like a lot of why Bitcoin's up right now. Uh, and if if things like this keep happening, we'll probably keep seeing that. Well, something Willie said to me when I spoke to him uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, obviously, I mean, I don't know what your views are on on-chain analysis. I think it's a tool. I don't think it's a crystal ball, but I think it's a tool uh, and can be a useful tool amongst a, a, a massive armory of things that you can use as a trader. But he said uh, one of the interesting things is that 
what he considers retail buyers to be a bit of a hockey stick at the moment, still going up. So despite everything else, the retail buyers are coming in and still buying and still buying. And he says to me, retail buyers drive bull markets as well. I mean, I don't know if you have any any opinion what he said there. Uh, I mean, sure. Uh, like ba- basically, any uh, any effect that can create like uh, like net buying or selling uh, will tend to drive the market. Uh, and yeah, so like in the like to the extent that it is true uh, that retail buying uh, is uh, like mostly going up, uh, yeah, that will drive the market. The re- like retail buying, uh, like or the retail market, like is like a fairly big can be like a fairly big like net uh, amount of what's going on. Uh, and yeah, so I definitely think that that's like probably a piece of what's going on, uh, just given that the market has been going up. Um, uh, in terms of uh, like the on-chain metrics. Um, I think that people, yeah, like you said, I think that people tend to read into this quite a bit uh, more than they ought to. Uh, like something that I see on Twitter a lot uh, is like, oh, like look at all these bitcoins that like net went into like like exchange X. Uh, like this is terrible. Like Bitcoin's going to go down because the only reason people might like probably that means people are going to sell it, right? Uh, like like one, uh, uh, I've. Ever, Almost every time I've looked into a claim like this, uh, it has been the exchange moving between two wallets. Uh, <laughs> and like one of the wallets was not labeled correctly. Uh, and yeah. this is sort of almost always what's going on. Uh, but two, like what if people, what, what if someone's moving Bitcoin onto the exchange to use as leverage for a long position? Like you don't know. Uh, and yeah, so I agree that it can be a tool, um, but it's a very weak signal. Uh, though, yeah, I agree that like there are rare cases where these things uh, are worth knowing about. <laughs> Right, listen, I've got two final questions for you, and, and thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate this, and Danny will be happy. But uh, one question you're going to hate, but basically I'm going to ask anyway, <laughs> is uh, how far do you think we can go in this cycle? Because it must be something you're considering, like how far do we go? But an almost more important question is, and yeah, something I hope, I kind of want us to break out of this four-year cycles that we're having because I don't know if the four-year cycle is real it's the reflection of this F2F model or it's just like a a self-fulfilling prophecy because everyone expects it Uh, I hope we break out of it I'd like to see the market uh, to mature beyond having those four-year cycles because I don't like the you know 60 70 percent drawdowns I I don't think they're good for everyone and they're good for people who understand how to trade it but I don't think they're uh, good for everyone so yeah, how far do you think we can go, and do you think we can break out these four-year cycles? Uh, in terms of how far it could go, um, I guess I would say that, uh, like, it w- yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, for Bitcoin to start getting into the hundred k range. Uh, I'm not claiming that I think it is, uh, to be clear, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, and a big part of the reason why uh, is that, uh, like, while we are getting away from this high leverage regime, uh, we're not like fully away from the high leverage regime. Uh, and let like supposing that Bitcoin gets to like 70k or 75k, uh, that's a level that we've never seen before. Uh, and there's like a bunch of like longer term short positions uh, that have never had a chance to get liquidated before that like could get liquidated if we hit, hit that level. Uh, and so like if uh, if we start hitting these new these new like high levels, uh, people who have been short for a while or who are like are newly short or whatever are just gonna have new chances to get liquidated up. Uh, and so that can like, like, so there's like some chance that there's like all this uh, in addition to like organic buying, there might be a bunch of like inorganic buying that just, like sort of shoots us up there more fat, more quickly than we would otherwise. Uh, and yeah, so like that's something I wouldn't be surprised to see. I think that uh, if we do start getting around 100k, uh, we will sort of see a similar thing to what we saw around 20k the first time uh, with like a lot of resistance, uh, like you mentioned. Um, and 
So yeah, it, I think it would take like something uh, at least like a priori a bit surprising to me uh, to to get above 100k. It's because there will be resistance there. It's just, like impossible to imagine there won't be. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't like if we start testing it, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, in terms of uh, the four-year cycle thing, um, I think that there have not been a ton of uh, four-year periods uh, from which to draw the conclusion that that's actually what's going on. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I yeah I know that people uh like like this is like a quite prevailing narrative uh but like it's crypto's been a thing for or like a popular thing for like not very many years uh and so i think that yeah claims that like what like every four years this sort of thing is going to keep happening uh are like not especially data driven in my opinion all right man well look this was great uh love chatting to you uh yeah, awesome. And I think Danny's going to be, uh, he's over in Australia, but he'll be up and this is the first thing he's going to listen to. So thanks Hope to so. Danny for pushing me to this. But look, also, congratulations on everything I made and you know your new role there. That's uh, that's very cool. And hopefully uh, sometime uh, we'll get to do this again. I really enjoyed it. If people want to follow you, uh, do you want to tell them where's the best place to find you? Uh, yeah, uh, my Twitter is uh, Alameda Tribuco. That's A-L-A-M-E-D-A-T-R-A-B-U-C-C-O. Um, right, great. I'll yeah. stick it in the show notes. Cool, thank you. Thank you, man. Take care, and I will see you soon. Yeah, bye. Good talking to you. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can hit me up on my Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, I only ever want you to do one thing. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a review. Hopefully, you think the show deserves five stars. Anyway, love you all. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all on Friday.